Welcome to Montana 3000, Tales of 15 Minutes From Now, read by the author, Sean Gallagher. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and see the website for updates on new episodes at montana3000.com. And now, your host, Sean Gallagher. Yellow Cars Fade in the Sun He's been proving people right his whole life. Deborah Wonkowski will never go out with you. And if you keep lurking around her locker, you're going to come off looking like a creepy weirdo. Correct. You should get white or sand. Yellow cars fade in the sun. Correct. You can't drink and eat your way to developing an immunity to lactose intolerance. That's not how it works. Extremely correct. But for some reason, call it hard-headedness, call it lack of self-awareness, Call it vanilla-flavored bad decision-making. Despite having the benefit of reasonable counsel all around him, Toby Drebber just keeps listening to that slurred voice in his head. They aren't overly dramatic, his bad decisions. It's not like he shoots heroin into his eyeballs. There's just this barely-there vibe of oops infused into everything he does. Directions say left. He goes right. He buys double A. The thing takes triple A. He only packs flip-flops. It snows all weekend. So, while nothing catastrophic ever happens, his life, by virtue of his perpetually questionable choices, has assumed a subtly downward trajectory. In childhood, it wasn't that pronounced. All kids seem to be more or less playing on an even field. But now that he's 27, the gap between him and the pack has become noticeably wide. Problematic for the almost 30-year-old who's banging around down here while his contemporaries are adulting up there, opportunities for meaningful engagement professional, social, romantic, etc., are scant. Thank goodness for Skate Castle. When he first saw it, pulling into the parking lot at Pete Gunther's eighth birthday party nearly 20 years ago, Toby was decidedly underwhelmed. It didn't look like a castle at all. It looked more like an enclosed steel and cinder block hay shed. There were no turrets, no battlements, and, unless you include the trash-choked irrigation ditch running along the property's east boundary, There wasn't even a moat. But once over its threshold and through the fortress's faux iron gates, that ill impression flipped to its head. A squealing, giggling gallimaufry of childhood delights greeted him on the other side of the door. For it was on the inside where Skate Castle earned its stripes. Crests and swords adorned every booth along the back wall of Lady Fairy Dust's pizza parapet. Tapestries chronicling the heroics of Sir Geoffrey Joystick's many and lion-hearted campaigns, including his slaying of the Big Purple Dragon, festooned the ceiling above the skee-ball, video game, and pinball machines of his eponymous arcade, just to the right of Lady Fairy Dust, and just to the left of ye old skate checkout and return counter. On every wall of this enchanted plaza were hand-painted murals of bucolic, medieval scenes, Knights and damsels, jesters and beasts, fairies and wizards galore, all of it serving to excite the collective imagination of the kingdom's visiting boys and girls. And encircled within it all was the main attraction, 20,000 square feet of light-flashing, music-pumping royal roller rink. Countless opening acts of innocence have been played upon this stage. Meaningful glances first met, shy-seeking hands first held, and novice lips first kissed not to mention the numerous breakings of young hearts and arms. A childhood Xanadu. It was Toby's inaugural lesson in the pitfalls of judging a book by its cover. 
Though dreary on the outside, on the inside, Skate Castle was literally the coolest thing he'd ever seen. And if Providence would but abide, Toby Drebber aspired to never, ever leave. It's good fortune for most of us that heaven largely ignores our supplications to grant childhood wishes. Were it not the case, there'd be at present many more astronaut cowboys, unicorn kitties, and ice cream truck drivers in population than there are surgeons and engineers. And one can be forgiven for thinking that not the best division of society's labor. But lo and thunder, for eight-year-old Toby's petitions to fate were heeded, and Skate Castle became his all but place of domicile. It started with skates from Santa and an annual castle pass from Mom on his ninth Christmas. It didn't hurt that Mom, Kiki to her friends, preferred to spend what few hours she had away from duties as assistant manager of ladies' shoes at De Silva's with her boyfriend, Chris. She actually encouraged Toby to spend as much time at the castle as he liked. At least she knew where he was, and an annual pass was cheaper than babysitters. So Toby became a fixture. But despite his near-daily visits and the well-earned designation of rink rat by fellow regulars, friends were few. Toby was a shy kid and preferred to hide within the relative anonymity of the rink crowd amidst the darkness and chaos of the Oval, as opposed to the bright lights and social obligations of the snack bar and arcade. But he never begrudged the thousands of solitary laps he took around that parkade floor. A lonesome afternoon of loops at Skate Castle was always preferable to the alternative. A self-warmed frozen dinner, TV, and the empty house at home. It wasn't loneliness, but the soul-grating silence of being alone that he sought to escape. As the years rolled on, grade school to middle school, middle school to high school, high school to adulthood, Toby rolled round and round with them. And in time, two advantages ensued. The first was that his skating improved dramatically. After a few years, he was by far the best in the arena. But more than that, the kid had skills. Of course, he developed mastery of the oldies. Hip snatch, boogie curve, soul kick, slant slide, Latin cross wiggle, and so forth. But, as all masters do... Toby eventually ascended beyond tradition and into that rarefied air of self-creation. He invented and named his own moves, feats of wheeled athleticism and daring do that few were brave enough to attempt. Infinite cross-under, Australian cha-cha, kiki cannonball, and of course, the gasp-inducing Tobias top drop, a twisting, back-flipping, somersaulting number that took its namesake daredevil years to master and commanded as its wage more than a few sprained wrists and cracked foreheads along the way. As with all the greats, Toby, in his orbit, grew in reputation and acclaim, and eventually began to acquire groupies. Unfortunately for undergratified Toby, roller skating sycophants tend to be of the prepubescent variety, and so, outside the confines of Skate Castle, this did his twenty-something social life little actual good. But at least there was a half acre of this planet where Toby was king and could revel in the warming glow of tween adulation. And that beat the incessant ribbing of now stepdad Chris and his constant reminders to Toby of his want for female companionship. The second advantage of Toby's near-always skate castle hanging about was that it eventually got him a job. At some point along the way, after the day's skating was done, Toby grabbed a broom and started helping Mr. Aquino clean up after closing. In time, the broom became a spatula, as Toby rose into the role of Lady Fairy Dust Grillmaster. Next was a can of disinfectant, as he was made head tuner at ye old skate counter. 
The most recent advancement finds Toby wearing the plastic crown, clip-on tie, and personalized name tag of the castle's most coveted role and the palace's seat of true power, Skate Castle Royal Roller Rink Disc Jockey, a.k.a. DJ Drebber. The promotion was in every way a surprise. DJ Merlin had been spinning tracks at Skate Castle since time immemorial. But some unforeseen misfortune had befallen him, as vaguely alluded to by Mr. Aquino when offering Toby the coveted keys to the castle. And frankly, Toby was too dazed in the moment to ask clarifying questions. The long and the short of it was this. DJ Merlin was out. Did DJ Drebber want in? Having basically spent his entire childhood with the Skate Castle soundtrack playing in the background, Toby's well-studied on the heady responsibilities of the roller rink disc jockey, and his intuitions on when to employ the trade's various tools are consummate. Reverse skate, ladies' choice, lights low, lover's loop, DJ Drebber always seems to know the right moment for all of it. And swirling and fused through, under, over, and around everything is the playlist. His music bench is deep, and his memory encyclopedic. In fact, so attuned is he to the emotional vicissitudes of his preteen subjects that he's able to often retrieve and play that perfect song at the perfect moment to elicit the perfect response before it's even asked for. Many a tear shed, many a fight averted, many an apology offered one to the other by hormone-fueled youths too wrapped up in the emotion of the moment to realize that their words and actions were gently influenced, steered even by the suggestive lyrics playing backdrop to their drama. DJ Drebber is such a maestro of the rink that he seems sometimes not to be playing music at all, but rather to be playing his audience like an instrument, or better yet, conducting them like an orchestra. Hamsters in his wheel all. Yes, indeed, as concerned Skate Castle, Tobias Drebber is master. A time-worn truth to which DJ Drebber can attest. Rank has its privileges. Skates at cost. Unlimited Lady Fairy Dust refills. 20 credits per day at Sir Jeffrey Joysticks. The list goes on. But ask any CEO, admiral, or bishop, and they'll confirm. Rank also has its responsibilities. In the case of Skate Castle DJ, one of the tasks attendant to the role is the drop-off of daily receipts at the 3rd Street branch of Leafland Bank and Trust. And so every evening, come 8 p.m., Toby takes the locked pouch from Mr. Aquino and delivers it to the night drop box on his way home. Well almost every evening. It's not that Toby is dishonest. It's not even that he's lazy. It's just that, darn it all, sometimes Toby zigs when he should really zag. Case in point, rather than throw the trash in the alley dumpster behind his apartment yesterday morning on his way to work, Toby put it in the back of his sun-faded hatchback with the intention of throwing it into the dumpster behind the castle. Why he did this is a mystery to all but Toby, and it probably would have been fine had he not forgotten to actually throw out the trash when he got there. Instead, distracted by a ribald exchange between callers on the radio show he was listening to while pulling into the parking lot, Toby absentmindedly left the loosely tied bag and its rotting contents in the back of the car to slowly simmer throughout the day under the bright June sky. So when 8 p.m. rolled around, what was on Toby's mind when he got back to his car was not that day's night drop, but rather an emergency stop at the drugstore to grab a can of air freshener and some baby wipes. It was with mild panic and great relief that Toby was reunited this morning with yesterday's deposit bag on the passenger seat of his car. 
having completely forgotten about it last night amidst the eye-stinging stink of that morning's folly. In the light of this fresh day, all seemed well once again, the near miss confirming for Toby that he walks under a lucky star. No worries, he calmed himself cheerfully while checking his watch. I'll just drop it off on the way in. Easy peasy, problem solved. Though he'd have to hustle so as not to be late for work. One of the curiosities of the Third Street branch of Leafland Bank and Trust is that the parking lot sits atop a gentle rise in an area of otherwise flat surrounding. A fact that escaped Toby's attention as he hopped from his car and jog-walked the locked pouch over to the drop box, hoping to right last night's wrong and get to work by 8 a.m. without anyone being the wiser, forgetting in his haste to set the parking brake. As he returned to his car, Toby found it, not where he left it, but rather gaining ground and momentum as it rolled backwards through the parking lot, over a curb, across honking 3rd Street traffic, over another curb, across the neighboring parking lot, and crunching to rest against the driver's side door of some poor innocent who was inside Joe and Go grabbing their morning coffee. As he watched the show, helpless and horrified, Toby Drebber could think of nothing to do and only one thing to say. Oops. There are so many ways to break the camel's back. A flippant dismissal made by your lazy boss. One last snark from your teenage son. A salacious text misaddressed to you by your husband. These are common and well-worn straws. Sometimes it's as simple as a bad doctor's visit. Other times it's more nuanced. An eyebrow raised by the wrong person at just the wrong instant, for instance. While it's always advisable to avoid the blast zone of someone in the process of cracking, the most dangerous time is not actually at the moment of breakage, but in the moment just following, that first encounter with the just snapped. Allow me to expound. I entered Joe and Go this morning with much on my mind. Without going into detail, suffice it to say, matters of life and death were involved. Mostly death. And while in hindsight it was perhaps ill-advised to stop for coffee, and even more so to get out of the car, leaving my trunk contents unattended, in the moment I felt the need for caffeine overrode the small risk associated with a five-minute detour. Unfortunately for the wide-eyed teen troglodyte manning the cash register, the combination of closed drive through lack of sleep, messed-up coffee order, wrongly counted change, and overarching time crunch translated to that final off-the-edge nudge. As I threw back the 37 cents that should have been 39 cents, intentionally knocked my foamless latte off the counter, and stormed out of Joe's with an admittedly dramatic, to hell with it, the sight that greeted me in the parking lot did my just-snapped mood no favors. It appeared that someone had backed their rust-riddled hoopty over the curb and into the driver's side of my recently leased late-model sedan, it wasn't a high-velocity impact, but it did its work. The driver's side door was caved in just enough to make it clear that I'd soon be visiting the body shop. And standing next to the mess, waiting no doubt to fan the flames of my smoldering rage, was a slack-jawed schmo wearing short sleeves, a clip-on tie, and an aw shucks grin. Everything about him screamed, punch me. By way of introduction, he told me his name was DJ Drebber. He didn't know what had happened— he definitely set the parking brake, that he was going to push his car around mine and into the lot because it wouldn't start, and that he'd be right back. As he set to the task of shoving and grunting his sled off and around mine, he inquired over his shoulder as to the status of my insurance, 
the state of his own policy being somewhat dubious. He further mentioned that he was going to be late for work and would it be too much trouble for me to drop him off on my way. On my way to where, he neither knew nor seemed to care. All this without a single word from me. When I think back on the most consequential decisions of my life, those points in time where I was faced with a choice that would forever change the course of what came after, I realize, for most of them, I was blithely unaware at the point of choosing just how significant that moment inherently was. Only in hindsight does one taste this flavor of wisdom. So was it now with DJ, as he requested a ride from a pretty little woman who likely seemed to him timid and frail, but was in truth neither. It required laughably little of me to turn his mind away from work and toward the promise of some fantasy fulfilled as we pulled out of the lot and back to my original route and away from whatever neon-splashed fry joint he called a job. It was equally easy to shut down his clumsy attempts at witty small talk with a few pouty lips and sultry looks. We drove in silence, but I eventually turned on the radio to cover the sounds of his mouth-breathing anticipation. Desperation rose off him like fog from a moor. I don't know why I brought him with me. Common sense dictates I should have left him next to the Joe-and-go, scratching his head with that dumb look on his face, wondering how he was going to get to work. But instead, something in me decided to make sure his day turned out to be... unusual. Plus, it's helpful sometimes to have a set of fingerprints floating around that aren't your own. So here he sits next to me now, all fidgety and unaware, rolling toward his uncertain fate. Again. Beware the just cracked. I envy the movie knaves who always seem to have an abandoned barn or warehouse on hand in which to perform their ne'er-do-welling. What a luxury to be able to disregard the potential of prying eyes and ears, to operate without care in the light of day. The closest thing I have to private workspace is the soundproof basement of this recently <coughs> deoccupied tract home in the suburban enclave of McDonald Ranch, roughly 20 miles from city center. It's a stick-and-stucco wasteland, but it's not too far out of town. The neighbors keep to themselves, and there's an enclosed garage, which lends some privacy to my comings and goings. I pull into that garage now, closing the automatic door behind me, and turning to DJ as it shuts us into darkness. I can't believe I'm doing this, I say, all giggly and self-conscious. But something just wouldn't let me let you go this morning, DJ. I'm glad you're here. The dome light of the car goes on as I open my door, and in DJ's face is reflected all the hope, rejection, desire, promise, and pain of ten-plus years of cold showers and lonely nights. He's so overcome with appetite that all he can do is sit there looking at me, sparkly-eyed and gape-mouthed. Let's go inside, I coo. Uh-huh, he grunt-moans back to me. I'm going to change for you, but first... Be a deer and grab the bag out of the trunk for me. No peeking, handsome. It's a surprise. I pop the trunk and DJ dazedly walks around to the back of the car, retrieving from it the tan and orange striped vinyl bowling bag and its non-bowling related contents. He closes the trunk and crosses the garage toward me as I flash him a come-hither look and enter the house through the utility room and into the kitchen. I let him turn on the lights, grab drinks from the fridge, get glasses from the cupboard, basically encouraging him to touch as much as possible, all the while keeping sharp inventory of the few things that I'm forced to handle and will later return to wipe down. He sips water and twitches anxiously in his seat at the kitchen table. 
I come up behind him, pressing my breasts gently against his back and kiss him lightly on the cheek, whispering into his ear, Don't worry, I'm nervous too. Are you ready for a surprise? He nods soundlessly. Then open that bag and let's have some fun. Truth be told, I'm secretly glad that DJ ran his car into mine this morning. Dented door aside, it gave me the chance to make a new friend and bring him along for the day's adventure. Our meeting also proved a well-timed outlet to vent my Joe-and-go frustration. It's almost like some mighty hand steers my course. I admit there's a part of me that wishes it didn't have to go this way for him. A part of me that wishes, for his sake, he'd run when he had the chance. It's always this way, though. This flash of momentary lament. It's a voice that quiets quickly. DJ reaches now for the zipper, and I feel my heartbeat quicken. This is it. My favorite part. The reveal. He holds the bag with his left hand and slides the zipper over with his right. Engrossed in his project, DJ pulls the now-unzipped sides apart and peers curiously into the bag at its cellophane-wrapped contents. His moment of confusion is replaced in an instant with full understanding of his situation and its universe of implications. As the light of dawning realization strikes him, I slide the zip tie from my left pocket, the syringe from my right, and move in from behind, flashing toward him with a strike of my own. The End This has been another episode of Montana 3000. Check out the website for more information and additional stories. Montana3000.com If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. Until next time, happy trails.